In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men, are you living in the rat race, trying to find financial freedom, but you're stuck in the daily grind of life, going to work day after day and watching your money slip through your fingers days after you get your paycheck, never seeming to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Join us today as we discuss a new way of investing your hard-earned money and helping you find financial freedom. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, and thank you for making this Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Hey, I want to introduce a friend of mine today, uh, Ryan Arzner. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Julie, of 23 years. They live in my hometown of McMinnville, Oregon. Ryan has helped thousands of people achieve their dream of home ownership, including yours truly. He has an extensive and diversified investment portfolio with multiple revenue streams. Though he left his high school teaching position over 20 years ago, he still enjoys teaching people about financial freedom and helping them understand how money works. And he's been doing that with me. I call him my my financial sensei behind his back. But I want to welcome today my good friend, Ryan Arzner. Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, man. This is different today. We're doing it live uh, on the couch here. I know. So <laughs> this will be different. <laughs> this will be good, man. So let's get into your story. You started off uh, as a high school teacher in 2002. Can you walk us through 2002, uh, what happened there, and what led you to where you are today? Yeah, and and uh, I got I got to preface everything right. I'm not an attorney, not a financial advisor, not yeah. a CPA. I'm I'm just a a dad, a guy, a, you know, in an office every day. So um, yeah, just just kind of know that. <laughs> your job I can is share a, what I know and do. But and you're but a lender. What, what is your I'm official a, title? I'm a mortgage advisor. Okay. Yep. yep. And certainly, and in, in, I'm an investor. I love investing. So just a big game of monopoly. I love it. But. Um, you know, it's funny because I go all the way back to when I was uh, uh, going to college, right? And the counselor was sitting down in front of me and says, well, what do you want to be? And I was like, I don't, I don't know what I want to be. Yeah. And uh, I decided, well, let's, how about a teacher? I'd be a teacher because I had some great teachers in my life that, that helped me growing up when I had challenges and that sort. And I hadn't thought about the fact that teachers at the time uh, really didn't make a lot of money. Yeah. And, and I hadn't even been thinking. I hadn't even thought about money because uh, I just didn't have that education growing up. And the, the school system, there's just not a lot of education 
uh, around money and finance. Well, fast forward to when I, I got into teaching, I couldn't pay the bills. I had $40,000 in credit card debt. I had car loans. I had student loans. Um, I was married. Uh, we had a young baby. My wife wasn't working because we just had the baby. And uh, I remember my, my credit card debt was $1,000 a month, but my paycheck was $1,600 after taxes. Whoa. And I just remember thinking to myself, this can't be my life right here. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just such a burden to, to have that weight on me. And um, I got done with, with teaching one year, and we were at my brother-in-law's house, and he's an accountant. And he had a book, and it was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by, mm -hmm. by Robert Kiyosaki. A lot mm -hmm. of people have read that. And I picked up the book and started reading it, and I was like, I just couldn't put it down. And then I went to the next one, the next one, the next one. And, and uh, the, the long and short is I ended up reaching out to a, um, a high school teacher and football coach of mine uh, from high school and uh, flipping homes. So mm. I got in and, and decided to buy a home and flip a home and I, and I got hard money from him. And uh, that was a, my first experience with a hard money deal, didn't even know what it was. Wow. And then at one point I said, hey, uh, how do I learn how to, to get the money for myself to buy these homes? And he says, well, come work for me and I'll show you how. And he owned a mortgage company. So that's how I ended up making that transition into the, the mortgage world. And that following year is my last year of teaching. So how would you so, define hard money? Hard money, it was, it was his money, or technically I think it was his dad's money. Uh -huh. But uh, they kind of gave the terms at the time. You know, they, they established the, uh, the cost up front along with the interest rate, but it's basically just a cash transaction to a seller, right? So when, we okay. went, when I went to a seller to, to buy the house, I was given cash because it was a hard money, hard money deal on my side, but very expensive. <laughs> so you're a mortgage advisor. Yes. And, and you've been, but, 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 after knowing you for 20 years and watching your portfolio expand yeah. and just having some conversations with you, I've, I've, do I've kind of dove headlong into um, your way of finding financial freedom because I've been uh, in full-time ministry uh, in churches and now with Men in the Arena, which is a nonprofit Christian organization, mm -hmm. and, and I have followed all the rules. I've invested the money where uh, leading uh, financial advisors to Christians or church people. Uh, I've, I've followed that lead and at 57 years old, we're nowhere near where we need to be. Nowhere near where we need right. to be. In fact, I've, I have discovered that all of my friends who have followed that same advice, and I'm just talking subjectively here, are all pretty much in the same boat. They're what I would call, they're in the rat race, right? They're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, they're calling their house their primary asset and they're just grinding it out uh, to retirement. And at retirement, most of them are going into another career because mm -hmm. they can't afford to live at their current level or they're going into a fixed income, trusting a 2% return from social security on their investment. And um, whatever pension, or not even pension, whatever retirement they've accrued over the years, which for us is gonna be nowhere near the amount we need. And so I realized I need to make a course change. Mm -hmm. And so I turned to you uh, because I just know you, our kids played sport together, and and you've uh, got tremendous gift of teaching. So your teaching uh, job from O2 has definitely carried over. You have a great way of taking complex concepts and dumbing them down for a guy like me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I appreciate that. So let's start here. So because because when I say rat race, right. What what does that mean to you when you hear that phrase rat race? Do you agree with that that most people are in the rat race? Well. 
what I relate it to is kind of going back to Kiyosaki. Yeah. Right. So there, he has a board game called Cash Flow. Yes. Which anytime when I talk to people and they look for advice, I always say you got to get the board game Cash Flow One Hundred and One. Play Cash Flow, which you bought for right? me. Thank I you did, very much. You're welcome. I did say that to you. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was. Way back then, I remember a buddy of mine, we got the game, we started playing, and we played that game all the time. And it took probably two hours when we first you know, tried to learn it, but it starts out where you, you're given a profession. You, you don't know which profession you are, but you're a profession, and you start with a financial statement of that particular person. Now, when I was a teacher, I didn't even know what a financial statement was. Yes. Right? And, and that was one of the problems in, in terms of learning how to manage your own money. You, you kind of got to know what a financial statement is. Yes. So, um, the rat race per the board game, right? You're you're just in a circle. That's your race. So uh, back yeah. then, right? Back then, you're you're most people. I think they they go to work, they get their job, they get their paycheck, they spend their paycheck on whatever their bills are. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. you got to go right back to work to do it again, over and over and over and over and over. Well, when I was raised, my dad was in the the PERS system, PERS one, which was very great. And back then, it yeah. was. Hey, you're going to go to work for a company for 30 years. You're going to retire, and then you're going to retire off that company. And I remember him taking me to. I was in high school at the time, and I, I had a little bit of money, not much. And he took me to a quote-unquote financial advisor that was teaching me the A bucket and the B bucket. And you know, over 30 years or 40 years, you're done. And so I started learning that stuff early, not really kind of understanding it. And then when I went to um, when I graduated college, it was my first year of teaching. I remember. Uh, a financial advisor giving me a phone call and letting me know that uh, uh, he got a hot tip on Gillette. Right? I remember this phone call. I didn't have a lot of money. I think I maybe had three thousand dollars in my name. And he says, "Hey, Gillette's got a third blade coming out. <laughs> this is going to be big. Gillette's got a third blade. Yeah. So get your money. If you got money, get it in now." And I put it in. I think I, I, I had I put in everything I had, thinking, "Wow, we got a third blade." This guy says it's going to be amazing. My financial advisor, this is fantastic. Well, I never heard from him again. And Gillette plummeted at the time. And uh, I called and I called. And I said, "Where's my money going?" Right, and and the guy just disappeared. So that was a that was a hard shot for me and a lesson at the time. And I've yeah. had multiple experiences where I've sat down with different people trying to get things figured out, fiduciaries and that sort. And at the end of the day, it's kind of funny because I remember everyone always says, you're going to get this 3 to 5% return. And if you get 3 to 5% return over 30 years, right, you're good to go. Compounding interest, Except baby. for the fact that if I was to say, okay, if something goes up 30% and comes down 25%, most people would agree that's a 5% return. Mm -hmm. Or if something goes down 25% and then goes up 30%, most people would agree that's a 5% return, except if you do the math. <laughs> yes. Right? So if you take $100,000 and that 100000 goes up 30%, you now have $130,000. Correct. But if it goes down 25%, you now have $97,500. I just lost 2500 bucks. Yeah. By a 5% return. Right, or if you do it opposite, same thing. So if you take your hundred thousand and you lose twenty five percent, you now have seventy five thousand. But then if you make thirty percent, right? People would say that's a you average a five percent return. You now have ninety seven thousand five hundred. You just lost twenty five hundred dollars. So in both those scenarios, you can average a five percent return, but you actually lose twenty five. You actually lose two point five percent. Yeah, yeah. So there's different ways, and I understand there's other returns, and there's different scenarios that could pan out where you have money, but it didn't make sense to me. 
right? Yeah. And um, at the time, when I was younger and trying to, to learn these finances, uh, those were just that was just one of the things that goes. This doesn't make sense. I need to learn about money myself. Yes. And and uh, if I'm going to be responsible enough to make money, I need to learn how to manage my own money. Mm-hmm. At the time, I had nothing. I had a wife. I had a brand new baby. And all I knew is this is not what I could be for the rest of my life. This yeah. is not what I wanted. And so that set me on my course to, to, uh, to learning. And the, one of the first things I learned about Jim was the dollar, right? So I didn't know at the time even what a dollar was. And most people today don't know what a dollar is. Correct. And a, a dollar is a currency. Correct. Right? A currency is a medium of exchange. Yes. It's not a store of wealth. And a lot of people put money in their savings account or their checking account, saving it as a store of wealth, and it's not. Yeah. Even by definition, it's not. It's a medium of exchange. So if I'm going to spend my time working and I'm going to be given dollars for my time, what am I now going to exchange my dollars into? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to let them sit? So as you, as you kind of learn more about that, um, I can say, uh, and statistics, don't quote me on any statistics anytime, right? Everyone, everyone could do their own research, of course. But I believe every currency in the history of the world has ended in zero. So that's yes. something to research, right? And the dollar is a currency. And the dollar, you want to explain uh, fiat money and how the dollar is a fiat? Yeah, it's government backed, right? And, and we went off the gold standard in the 70s. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. So uh, it's fiat currency, it's government backed and IOU, and uh, it's no longer backed by gold. Now, I don't want to get too big into a different rabbit hole, but we've got big global issues right now in terms of de-dollarization and yeah. the BRICS nations in terms of what's happening there. The uh, the petrodollar has obviously gone away with some of those those things that's happening with Saudi Arabia, and that's a whole different uh, podcast, I guess. But, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll, yeah. That'll, that'll get us into a different direction, but kind of coming back to the dollar, the first thing I had to do was understand what an actual dollar was. Yes. Now I got to take those dollars. When I earn those dollars, what am I exchanging those dollars into? Am I exchanging them into food? Right? Am I exchanging them into pleasure? Right? Cars? Um, Am I just uh, going on vacations? Uh, You know, what am I doing with those dollars? Yeah. Uh, And and so that's, that's, uh, I think that's something a lot of people don't know. So if I kind of go back to a financial statement, right? That's just very, very basic. Everybody has one. Not many people know what a financial statement is. That or was how my it next works. question. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But everyone's got one. Yes. Right. And if and if if you don't know what a financial statement is, but you have a financial statement, how are you going to make it sing? How are you going to make it work? How are you going to make it pretty? How are you going to know how to get out of the rat race? Right, And mm-hmm. so to get out of the rat race, to become financially free, at least, at least the definition I've learned, is that your passive income needs to exceed your expenses. Right, Not your job, your passive income. So the, by definition, you have assets and you have expenses. Right? So your assets flow into your income column. Your expenses flow into your, or I'm sorry, your, your, your liabilities, your debts flow into your expense column. Yes. Right? So, so by definition, if I take my dollars and exchange them into uh, a a liability or a debt. Like let's say I go out and I buy a car and uh, that car now flows into my expense column, right? That is a liability. Correct. That's not how you become financially free or get out of the rat race, 
right? You have to build your, your assets. So if I take my dollars and exchange them for a car that I then am going to turn around and rent out and make money off of, that now becomes an asset. And when those assets from that passive income exceeds what my expenses are, right, now I've become financially free at that point. So how would you respond to the people that say, and I, I have heard this far and away as a majority view, my house is my only asset or my greatest asset. Yeah. How do you respond? To, and that's majority. Would you agree that's a majority view? Uh, I, I think a lot of people think that, yes. It's kind of a rat race comment. I'd say, yeah. Okay. Yep. So so when you hear somebody say to you, because you, you give money to people to buy a house. Right. When you hear the statement, my house is my greatest asset, based on your definition of asset versus liability, right. how do you respond? I mean, you don't have to respond to that person. You probably well, smile well, and yeah. move away. But, <laughs> no, but, I do. But how, what would you say? By definition, right? So by definition... And again, uh, uh, I don't make stuff up. I kind of read and I learn and I yeah. listen and I, I, I make my own opinions for myself, like yeah. for my own finances, right? So I don't, but by definition, technically, the house that you live in is a liability because it flows into the expense column. Correct. Right. Now, if you rent that house out and let's say my payment's $1,000 and I'm renting it out for $1,100, well, now it moves over into the asset column because it's making me on the surface, $100. There's a thing called an internal rate of return on, on real estate. And so you actually make way more than that when you take in some of these other components. But um, technically, by definition, the house that you live in is a liability. It's a necessary expense. That's the key Correct. that's important. It's a necessary expense. But by definition, it is a liability. Okay. That, now, so, yeah. I have taken, in, in, in things that I do, and when you get into... To, maybe more complex terms like like leverage and like velocity of money. Those are two big things that I, I use a lot of. There's leverage where you have other people's money. OPM. And you have other people's time. OPT. Let's talk about, let's, so let's talk about, well, first of all, let's back up a step. Sure. So I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at most people that I know who right. are on this path to owning their home and accruing interest, compounding interest over time, retiring on this fixed income, right? Mm -hmm. And I am realizing that this is not financial freedom. Right. So what do you call, how do you define financial freedom? Let's, let's start there, then we're going to get this other stuff. Well, that is my definition, right? Is when my passive income from my various assets exceeds my expenses, that to me is financial freedom. It's a combination of reducing expenses and increasing assets. And right? you're, are you still, this might not make the podcast, but no, you're fine. from the last time we had a conversation, you don't have payments on your cars. Correct. So you drive cars that you own outright. Right. So they're not, what would you call that, a necessary expense? It's not even an expense, is it? Right, yeah. I mean, I have insurance and gas. Yeah, but, yeah, but you don't, own these cars. I don't have loans on my cars. So yeah. you're not paying, so yeah. what... So how would you define good versus bad debt? Because right. there are a lot of voices out there, very, very loud voices, powerful voices that say, especially in my circle uh, with Christians, that will quote verses like Proverbs 27 or right. 22, 7, the, the borrower is slave to the lender, uh, Romans uh, 13, 8, owe no, no debt except for the debt of love. Right. You know, so how would you define good debt 
versus bad debt. Mm -hmm. So, well, good debt's going to make me money. Bad, bad debt is going to cost me money, right? Yeah, that's I mean, pretty that, basic, that's right? That's the yeah, basic yeah. right yeah. there, absolutely. But yeah, and you have to bring inflation into this picture too, because inflation's a really big deal, especially right now when we're coming... We're not coming out of a high inflationary time because we're still in a very high inflationary time, but we're coming down. Yeah. So, so we're coming down, we're coming out of it. Um, but but so we got to circle back to inflation because that'll kind of come into everything. But your good debt and your bad debt, that's just that. So I'll give you an example where, oh, I did a, a cash out refinance on uh, one of my investment properties a couple of years ago and I pulled $150,000 out. And what that actually did was that took my, uh, my cash flow dropped by 500 bucks a month, meaning uh, I was cash flow positive and I went cash flow negative by $500 a month on the surface. Again, you got this internal rate of return people aren't necessarily aware of where you have your tax deductions and you have your principal pay down, right? Yeah. Um, but in doing that, I took that $150,000 and I put it into a trucking business. Right, and then that that trucking business now has a return of forty percent per year. Wow! Right, so so I took something, right, and I leveraged that debt. I, I it's I arbitraged it. Right, arbitrage is a term I like to use, where I'll borrow money at, at one rate, and then I'll go use it to invest in something where I make a much higher rate. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's also leverage. That's also debt, but that's a good debt because that debt is making me money. That's an asset. Now, a bad debt would be over in the liability section, right? So if I was to go out and get a car loan, that's not a good debt. In my opinion, uh, especially in a high inflationary time, the only debt a person should have is a mortgage. Yeah. Because a mortgage acts as an inflation hedge. So uh, inflation is, is scary, and I don't think people have been so aware of inflation as, as they have been over the past year, year and a half. Yeah. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is, is the goal of the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve is who controls the monetary policy of the United States, right? The goal of the Federal Reserve is to keep inflation around 2%. The goal is not 0% inflation, yeah. and the, the goal is not for prices to come down. You have to have an expanding economy, right? So yeah. the goal is 2% inflation. Well, if you know, and I know, that we're going to lose 2% purchasing power per year. Best case. Best case. Are you going to keep that $100,000 in your checking account, knowing in 10 years it's going to purchase, it's going to buy you 20% less? You, you can't do that. You, you're yeah. losing. Yeah. You're an automatic loss right there. Yeah. And I don't want to say I'd be a loser if I did that, but I'd be losing. It's just an automatic loss. So you, you can't, we can't store money in dollars anymore. And if, if, you, if you jump into uh, investments that are backed by dollars, you have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So especially in high inflationary times where we got up to, what did we get up to 8%? Yeah. And, and we've been coming down. We'll continue to come down, you know, over the, the coming reports. But um, you have to beat inflation. You, so you're going to have taxation and you have inflation, which is another stealth tax. And you're not going to beat those two things by making 3 to 5% return on your dollar. It's not going to happen. So I'm going to read a quote from you and I'm going to let you respond to it. All right. Talking about taxation. We are all playing a game whether we like it or not. Yeah. If you choose not to play, you lose, which I would say 
has been my choice for 30 years. Right. It's important for me to lay it on the table so our listeners understand that we're all growing in certain areas. This is the area I'm growing in. My wife would say, it's an answer to prayer. Right. <laughs> my kids would say, you're the poor dad, dad, but now you're becoming the rich dad. I'm trying, right? Right, yeah. So then you continue. You said, if you learn how to play the game, and this is a powerful statement, and this is what people don't realize. You said, and do what the government wants, you would... Let me read that again. And do what the government wants you to do, you can win. You continue. The government uses tax incentives to get the private sector to do things they want so they don't have to do them. This is what people don't realize. This is kind of the secret of the government, right? So can you walk us through that? Yeah, and it's my understanding. I don't want the government coming after me by any means. I've read this in numerous books, though, recently. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, and again, I am not an expert of taxation, right? Just like I'm not an expert You're just of my buddy on my podcast. Well, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> I, I surround myself with those that are. Yes. That's the important thing. So it's, it's so important when we get into these, these worlds, right? Yeah. That we surround I, ourselves with the experts, right? So, so uh, if I want to be an expert... On, on on being a family man and how to love my wife, I'm watching Men in the Arena podcasts, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I mean, I, I listen to your stuff and I love it, right? And, and in those things, I'm like, oh, I could be a better husband, right? Yeah. If, if, if you want to be, you got to surround yourself with experts. So uh, a typical CPA, I learned this as well, a typical CPA reports what I give them. Bottom line. Right? They, 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 we give us what we give them every year, and they turn around and they report that information. That's what a CPA does. About five years ago, so there's a great book called Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. I own that book. I think you do. Yeah. Right. Fantastic book. Um, and uh, he had this, this program called WealthAbility, which I did, I did the program. Very, very expensive. But it got me connected with a mentor that knows the tax code and knows what they're doing and could actually give me advice to where for six months we broke down my finances, my financial statement, what I was doing, and then rebuilt it, right? And, And if you do things that the government wants, what does the government want? They want you to provide housing. They want you to provide jobs. They want you to invest in energy, right? There's all these different things they want, uh, carbon capture, right? There's all these things the government wants you to do. It's way, way, way cheaper for the government to incentivize the private sector to get out and do things than it is for the government to create those things and spend the money themselves. I had no clue. And now someone on my team is an expert at tax code, which is constantly changing, by the way, mm-hmm. right? Those tax codes are constantly changing. So um, I've got someone on my team that follows those tax codes and says, hey, Ryan, did you think about this? Did you think about that? No, I make the decisions. I invest in where I want, but I have the guidance of an expert in that field. Not a typical CPA, but I would call an advanced CPA that's at a higher level than I am, which that's an important thing too, right? I. I don't think a person should take advice from someone that, that they don't want to be or don't want to emulate or isn't in a better position than themselves. Correct. So I'm not going to take advice from somebody who, um, who I'm in a better position than. Does that kind of make sense? Which is kind of the rub, I think, with the education. Is <laughs> yeah. Our educators are trained to teach us to become successful financially, yet they aren't. 
generally speaking, unless they're doing something beyond getting the paycheck and staying in the rat race. Yeah. So I'm, this is the yeah. hard part, right? I mean, it's tough. this is the rub. It's like, where are we getting our knowledge? We almost, I've discovered I had to get it from the private sector, which is guys like, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Wheelwright, and these guys, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, Ken McElroy. McElroy, yeah. I love that guy. So so these are some things. So so you, you said your team. Mm-hmm. So I'm a guy yeah. listening to this podcast. I'm driving to work like most of our guys are right now. And I'm realizing, man, I'm in the rat race. I need to get out of the rat race. You've told me over and over again, you're only as good as your team. So can you talk to us about what a guy can do to, like, talk to us about some of your team members. Now, you're way, you've been doing this for 20 plus years now. Mm -hmm. You own multiple properties. You're in multiple fast track type of investments right. that we can get into later if we have time. But but what what is important what are critical components of your team? Yeah, well, the first thing is I invest in people. That's 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 really important. So um, there's just there's so many wolves out there. Yeah. And um, there's so much uh, information floating around. We don't know what's real and what isn't. It's kind of like that whole Chat GBT, right? It's yeah. like we take it for word, but it's flawed, right? right at least right now. Um, so my team has changed over time. Let me stop and say yeah, this. Go ahead. Your day job is you're a mortgage advisor. True. So we're not talking about your day. I got to be careful here. This yeah. is not your day. So your day job is over here. Yeah. So we're talking about your team. This is not your, you're not paid for this. This is right. your own little, what would you call this? You've used a phrase for me with me over and over again. So that's your day job. But what is this thing you're doing for financial freedom? Well, to be honest, this is my fun. This It's like okay. playing a big game of Monopoly to me. Okay, but I, this I is really your it. deal. It's my passion. And you've got several yeah. LLCs set up, but this is oh, your... Yeah. This is your side hustle, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's kind of what I, yeah, I have my team in the mortgage world, yes. right? So I've got my team that works for me there. Um, but then in, in terms of of my investing and what I do, absolutely. So I've got my okay. attorneys with my LLCs, my my CPA with my and my bookkeeper with my taxes. Uh, I use managers uh, for all of my properties, uh, and that's really important too because a lot of people do come to me for my day job because they want to learn how to invest in real estate, which is what I. I do. I yeah. do investment loans and that sort. And so we run those numbers into those things. But a common mistake I think a lot of people make is they want to get into investing, whether it be short-term rentals or long-term rentals, and they they want to be the ones to manage the property. And, so, and, and, and that's a critical component to success or failure is yeah. the management of that property. So you don't want to do that, or I don't want to do that, because I'm not a property manager. I, I tried it. Try, I got into it. I made mistakes. I learned. That's how I've learned that. I make way more money by allowing the professionals to manage my properties, whether it be short-term or long-term, wherever they're located. Well, the funny part, Ryan, is everybody I listen to who gets into properties starts off trying to manage them themselves. Yeah. And so we're in the process right now of transitioning <laughs> from doing ourselves to a property manager because I'm like... No, this is a nightmare. Yeah. This is this is not what I want to do. So I appreciate that. So you have a property management team right. or wherever your homes are. You have a team yep. in each location. Yes. You've got a lawyer. Uh, you have a CPA. You have a bookkeeper. Yep. Okay. True. Yep. Anything yep. else there? Uh, I mean, those are the, the main ones that I'm working with the majority of the time. I call myself a, 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 a an active passive investor. That's kind of what I call myself. So right? here's a so, question. So why should I, if I'm going to buy a property, let's say I'm going to go properties. Let's yeah. let's stay away from fast track investments right now. I'm going to buy a property. 
So I, I go and I buy a second home. I have the home I live in. I buy a second home. You know, over and over I'm reading and I've heard from you, hey, you need to, it'd be wise to form an LLC to put that property in. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the advantages of forming an LLC for our uh, long-term or short-term rental properties and putting them into an LLC as, instead of keeping them under our personal ownership? Yeah, my understanding, you know, the reason I use the LLC is it's all asset protection. So it's asset protection. So I have an LLC that owns all my LLCs. So uh, I learned, you know, from my team, right, that I want to own nothing but control everything. So I really don't have a lot of ownership in stuff, right? Uh, But I control a lot. Because, uh, on purpose. So we talked right? about taxation that the yep. government wants us to provide housing and we get a yep. tax benefit for that. So wh- where is the, where are you seeing the tax benefit from the, owning these properties and having them under your LLCs? Well, the, the biggest is going to be your depreciation. And I, the, LLCs is, is, the LLCs is not necessarily for tax purposes. The LLCs is for asset protection. Okay. So different things. Okay. Right, just, just to kind of be clear. Because when you get into like... Again, this is your CPA stuff. These are CPA questions. Totally. These are attorney CPA questions. But um, my understanding of things and the reason I use different things, you got your passive income bucket, you got your active income bucket, you know, all your passive incomes from the different properties, different LLCs, they really all flow into that one bucket. Yeah. Whereas your active income, your earned active income, which would be like your W-2 wages. Your day job. Sort of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... But but there's things too which which you asked about in terms of the government right so on my W two wages well if if you invest in oil and gas the government wants you doing that right and you get big tax incentives and tax deductions for doing that and that's another team member I have right just to give you an example on that um, carbon capture is another big one so those are things that 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 flow through onto W two waged employees that a lot of people don't uh-huh. know that there's big tax incentives there. Um, but regarding the property, I think depreciation is probably the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, deduction that could be made. Depreciation there. of the physical building, depreciation of the appliances. Correct. Well, you're, that's CPA stuff, but you're you're getting into. There's different things for different types of properties, right? Okay. So, so whether it be long-term rental or short-term rental. Right there's there's different things that can be. Well, this is what we're learning reasons. is that, and we're only one property in here, right. is that we're getting depreciation for those appliances, we're getting depreciation for the physical property, but the the reality of it is the whole thing is appreciating. Right. So when you talk about the the, the what you call IRR internal rate of return, so yeah. you, and then plus we're paying down the principal. Yeah. So you're, yes. you're seeing you're seeing so much more than meets the eye. Right. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. uh, so so ta- so okay. So I'm a guy, uh, and we're we're fairly new to this game as well. I want to buy a property. Yeah. I've got a mortgage that's let's say I bought a house for um, hundred and fifty thousand. I now uh, it now values it appraises at three hundred. So I've got one hundred fifty thousand dollars of equity. I want to buy a second property. Right. So how do I do that? How do I leverage that property using OPM? Or what would you recommend? <laughs> Let's stop. What would you recommend? Uh, as a as a guy who's not an expert, yeah. you're just a guy doing this as a hobby. No, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I um, want to protect you. <laughs> yeah, you owe a hundred. You have you, you go to three hundred. You get there. I mean, it, it's all numbers. And I know there's a seventy so percent the rate. Thing. You don't want to. T- 
yeah, leverage so the, out more than 70% of your home. Yeah, so this this is all numbers. So everything is number related. So, um, in, you know, in some scenarios, you might do a, a home equity line of credit, which everyone should have a home equity line of credit, period. And one of the, I don't want to get off your question. I don't want to get off your question, but at the same time, I think there's some important lessons that yeah, people no, need to, to know us. based on your question. So a lot of times I'll run into people who are keeping cash as their security blanket. They just have it in a gun safe. Or, you know, or, or checking your savings, right? Yeah. It's just liquid. That's their security blanket. They might need 50000 or 100000 or 20000 I don't know, whatever fund. it is. Yeah, but they're keeping it in a checking your savings account. And my mentality is that's not a good spot because I know I'm losing in that scenario. But mm -hmm. a lot of people, and again, you kind of go back to your earlier question. Uh, there's some people that teach. Uh, you should have, uh, you should know anything on your house. And, and when I see that, me personally, I, I see myself sitting in my house surrounded by all this cash and money doing nothing. And, and, that, and, and it gives me hives. Right? Like, <laughs> like, like I gotta get out, I gotta get my money out working for me. Yeah. I don't wanna just sit here with it just sitting here. So, and, and people sometimes brag to me that, hey, I own, I, I own my house free and clear, or I own my investment properties Yo, free and clear. I almost wanna say I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, people do that, but in, yeah. in my that's opposite of what I think. Because I go, you could be doing so much better. Because in my mind, I go, okay, if you and I each own a house, and it's it's free and clear, and it's worth four hundred thousand dollars, you owe nothing, I owe no, owe nothing, and it's worth four hundred thousand, and you decide to keep it like that and just go on your way, you're going to be successful. It's going to be fine. That house will go up. It'll. You know, it's, it's at 400 now. It'll be worth 500 someday. You have no someday. mortgage payment anymore. We got no mortgage payments. But I take that house and I go, okay, I'm going to take $300,000 out of this house. And I'm going to go buy three more homes. I'm going to put $100,000 down on three more homes. 400, 400, 400. You now have $400,000 working for you. I now have $1.6 working for me. Yeah. If the housing market goes up 10%, which it will, you made $40,000. I made $160,000. Yeah, times 4X. I used the bank's money to do that. I didn't use my money. I used the bank's money. That's velocity and that's leverage. Yeah. Velocity is moving the money and keeping the money moving, right? And leverage, of course, is using the bank's money. So you're going to be successful by owing nothing, and you'll be fine, but I'm going to get way further ahead way quicker than you by getting my money working and moving and leveraging that money. I finally understand velocity. I was, having a hard time, <laughs> I was having a hard time grasping it, but now I understand that. So it's taking that money and diversifying it into other money-making yes. streams. Right. Just okay. like I said, I pulled that money out of a investment property and went and put it in a trucking, right? It's a, another revenue stream, oil and gas, another revenue stream. So there's all different revenue streams. There's lots of different assets out there. We just don't know about because we're, we're so busy in the rat race working. Yeah. And we come home and we're exhausted and we're not thinking, we're not learning, we're not studying. And we weren't taught this in school. So I'm, I'm listening to you. Yeah. I own my home free and clear. I'm a, bro, I'm a dude who owns my home free and clear. I hear what you're saying. Yep. And, I, and my pushback is, Oh, okay. you own yours free and clear? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. No, well, are I'm you kidding say, me? Gonna be like, you're oh, like, gosh, hey, I'm your lender, you. bro. I know you're lying right now. <laughs> I didn't no, want to no, no. me. <laughs> I'm hypothetical here. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm thinking, I mean, and so I'm saying, I'm being the devil's advocate. Okay, okay. So you're saying to get a home equity line of credit. So you're saying to pull out a HELOC. So I've got to pay that whole thing off in 10 years. 
It sounds like I'm creating a potential disaster on my hands. Sure. How do you answer that, Gary? Let, let's back up a little bit because yeah. I kind of got off track. I got a little excited on the investing side. No, no, and I got good. off track on the security side. Okay. So um, a lot of people keep cash as their security blanket. The only way to access that equity in your home, there's two ways I know of. One is you can sell your home and then you're homeless or you can borrow it. Or refi. But that would well, be borrowing. Oh, I'm thinking HELOC. Yep. Well, there's the, there's ways to borrow okay, it. Okay. HELOC, cash out, refi. Yeah. Okay, so okay. you can either borrow it or you can sell it, one or the other. The cool thing about HELOCs, and I don't do HELOCs. I, I actually refer them off um, because you can get them for free, right? The big banks will do HELOCs for free, but a HELOC is an adjustable rate mortgage. And that's fine, but that scares people, mostly yeah. because of the housing bubble back in 08 or whatever. But but what, what happens is you can get this line of credit for free. And let's, again, go back to the example. Let's say my home's worth $400,000 and I owe $200,000, right? Which is probably a little more realistic for most people than having Correct. it paid off. I can go get a home equity line of credit for $100,000. It'll take me up to 75% loan to value. And you still, yeah. And you right. still own, you still have a hundred thousand equity absolutely. after that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I will say as a preface back in 2008, the, the average equity position in the U S was 19%. A statistic that just came out a week or two ago is the average equity position today is 58%. Holy cow. I was guessing it's gotta be much yeah, higher. The average yeah. loan to value today on mortgages is 42% compared to 81%. So a lot of people are sitting on before. a lot of money. They can a lot have of working equity. for them is what I hear you say. It's a lot There's of a lot of potential velocity out there doing nothing. Yes, yeah. well, absolutely. But coming back to your security question, um, if I go get that home equity line of credit for free, the big banks will do it for, not all, but the ones I'm aware of, they do it for free. I get $100,000. I've paid nothing. And what they do is they send me a checkbook. And now I have a checkbook where I have access to $100,000. And anytime I could just write a check, go put it in my account. That's the security blanket. I don't need $50,000 cash sitting in my bank account. If I have access to $100,000 right here from writing a check, which is secured against my house. Yeah. Now it's an adjustable because I don't have any money to, I'm not paying any interest on that loan unless I write a check. Yes. Right? So it's a security blanket. Now, if I know I have that money, as, that, that equity is a security blanket where all I got to do is a write a check. I don't have to get qualified. I already got qualified. I don't have to get qualified to write the check, right? Because I already got qualified to get it to begin with. Yes. Now all I got to do is write the check. Then I don't need that 50000 sitting in my checking account. Now I can go get that checking, that, that 50000 and go get it working for me to make- ASAP. To bring in more, yes. Generate another revenue stream, get it working for me. My security blanket becomes that equity line. Even if the house is paid off, at least have that security blanket. So I write that $50,000 check. Let's say that's all I write. I've got 100000 available, I write $50,000 check. Yes. I have to pay that off to the bank in 10 years? Typically? Typically, typically I mean, that's gonna be a bank question, but typically they go for 10 so how, years. So yeah. how do you, do you just go get another HELOC and pay that off and just keep the cycle going? Well, theoretically, when the time comes, homes are going to be worth, if you go back to inflation, yeah. theoretically in 10 years, if you look at the global population, we're going from 8 billion to 9.5 billion, right? Housing is supply and demand and everyone's got their own markets and whatever, but housing is going to be supply and demand. If we know that, uh, uh, was it in 2021, I think we inflated our money supply by 25%. Holy I believe cow. it was in 2021 we did that. That's a statistic. You can go look it up. But that's one reason why we have such a highly inflationary 
uh, situation right now. So in 10 years, theoretically, there's going to be a lot more dollars out there chasing the same amount of, of goods and products, and you can't create land. No. So it's simple supply and demand. So yeah, in 10 years, in my opinion, I think housing prices are going to be way higher in 10 years than where they are today. Uh, it, just some basic statistics that I'm aware of is vacancy rates right now are at an all-time low. Household formations yeah. are at an all-time high. The average, the Zillow statistic, average first-time buyer is 33 and a half years old. If you go back and you look at birth rates 33 and a half years ago today, you'll see we're in the midst of a birth rate explosion. Yeah, the Gen Zs. Yes, which means we got more 33 and a half year olds this year than last year. These are first-time buyers, by the way. Yeah. Even more coming in next year, and then it begins to plateau. Whereas, and if you look at inventory on a national level, in 2008 we had over four million, uh, yeah, four million homes for sale. Today we have less than 900,000. We've had a supply crash, and housing markets based off supply and demand. So we've yeah. got increasing demand. Yeah. And decreasing limited supply, builders can't build cheap homes, and ninety-one percent of your ninety-one percent of your mortgages out there are, are under four percent. Who's going to sell their home at three percent to go buy a home at six or, or six yeah, and a half percent? Absolutely. And what investor, what investor is going to sell their home when they've got a rate of three or four percent cash flowing? With inflation, rent goes up. Mortgage acts as a as an inflation hedge. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So you got investors who've got their mortgages at low interest rates. That mortgage is not going to move. That payment's not going to move, except for a little bit of tax insurance. On the other side, you got renters. It's going up with inflation. So you had said, so I'm just kind of going back to some yeah. basic stuff here. So you had said, God's not making more land. True. Okay. I believe. <laughs> I, I, I pretty much agree, unless we're going to go to Mars. My question, though, is. So if I were to take a hundred grand and invest it in dirt, just because I wanted property, yeah. you would call that a liability, unless I'm going to build and cash flow it eventually. Correct? It's like you're not a fan of just buying land, unless what I'm saying is I got a lot of guys that want just want yeah. land to hunt on or right, recreation, yeah. but that would be uh, an investment in a liability. Now I don't, I don't, I don't invest in. I've heard a lot about land in terms of investing. I, all my stuff is all, you know, it's commercial, it's short-term rental, it's long-term rental. You know, there's stuff on it. I don't have any just plain dirt to really probably be able to answer that. But by definition, if I go out and I just buy a piece of dirt, right, and, and uh, I got to pay taxes on that dirt, that's a liability. Now, I can understand the hope for appreciation over time, but that, that's not a great investment strategy, in, in my opinion. Agreed. Now, if, if I've got that dirt and, and I'm paying taxes on it or whatever, but I'm leasing it out for a farmer to farm it every year, and now you know, I'm paying X, but, but I'm getting all this money in Positive. from Y, or I'm doing a wedding venue or you know, whatever, and I'm making money off of that, now it becomes an asset okay. because okay. it's being paid for and it flows into my yep. income column. Yep. Okay, so I, I referred earlier in the podcast that in 97 we started, I was 32 years old and I started investing in uh, 403B, which is like a 401k for nonprofit organizations, right? Mm -hmm. So I've done that for almost 30 years. We're nowhere near where we need to be uh, to retire. We never will be there. Uh, you know, we did that based on this compounding interest over time. You know, so we have guys listening right now and they're doing that. 
They're right. investing in a 401k. They're investing in a Roth IRA. They're investing in those things. So you've talked about inflation, but when I when I invest, from what you understand, I know that you're tied into this some of this knowledge from the inside a little bit. What happens that dollar when I invest in these companies, trusting and compounding interest over time? What is happening with every dollar I'm making? Like, what? Why is that, in your opinion, not a great investment? Yeah, you're just talking about handing it to a handing it to financial my fi- advisor, it and, to a financial advisor who yeah. really hands it off to somebody else, right? I mean, what's what's going on with that money? From what you understand, I know there's yeah. gonna be some pushback. I know we got financial guys on here, yeah, but yeah. I'm trying to push back on this rat race mentality. Right. That's what I'm pushing back on. I want our listeners to at least consider. Another option besides own your home free and clear, live completely debt free, credit card debt, every kind of debt. Don't use right. OPM. You know. So what is really going on here that that we aren't being told? Okay. So uh, every person's situation is unique, right? So that's the first thing to understand. So every single person has to do their own due diligence. And they have to, to get their own education. And they've got to pick and choose who they're going to listen to and what, what they're going to listen to out of what those people are saying. Right? So um, I'm happy to come on and talk to you today just to help people as on a, their as own a, journeys. Not as an expert, but as a guy on his journey. Yeah, I'm not sitting here trying to sell. I got nothing to sell, right? Yeah, it's nothing, like, yeah. I'm just trying to help. I had so many mentors help me. I took so many people who were way better off than me out to lunch. And just ask questions. I've learned so much from so many people and, and reading the books and the authors and the very successful people. And I owe everything to those people. And I'm happy to, you know, to help stimulate thoughts by someone else. But um, the first thing I would recommend is there's a company called ProVision CPA. So if you were to Google ProVision CPA, there's a wealth calculator at the bottom. And so um, you kind of scroll down. I'm kind of doing this by memory, right? You, you can scroll down and you'll find this wealth calculator that ProVision has. And there's, there's four or five things you have to identify. And this is a, a thing I had done about, you know, five, six years ago when I kind of got on this, uh, you know, what I was doing plan-wise. But the first thing is you, you have to identify how much you, you're going to need to live uh, to meet your expenses. Mm-hmm. So whatever that number is, it might be 50,000 a year, it might be 100,000 a year, it might be two or 300,000 a year. I can tell you that I adjusted my number and I do this every year for myself and every person really should do this because this is how you, you have to identify, you know you're a hunter, right? Yeah. If you just throw out a bullet, you're not gonna, it, it's ready, aim, shoot, Fire, yeah. right? It's not ready, shoot, aim. Right, so, so you have to find your target first. So that's, that's what this whole thing is. So the first is I need to know how much money do I need passively per year to meet all my expenses and, and be happy and safe and, and that sort, right? That's the first thing. Well, then I gotta take that amount and I'll multiply that. Let's say if it's uh, $100,000 a year, then I multiply that by 20. That's $2 million. Mm-hmm. So what I need is $2 million. To carry you through life. Exactly. So now if I have $2 million at a 5% return, that's going to give me my $100,000 a year. No one's saying you can't get a 5% return, but you already heard my, uh, uh, my idea what a 5% return could be. Yeah. Right? That's where you got to be careful. So now I've identified that I need $2 million at a 5% return is going to give me that 100000 a year. And I'm good. Now the question is, how do I get to that $2 million? Well, how much do I have? 
right? So I have to identify what I have. Now, what percent return do I need over what period of time to get to that $2 million? So do I want to be financially free in five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years? What is it? But you have to identify mm -hmm. that. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if I identify that time frame, now I, I identify how much money I have, identify how much money I have, how much I need to get over what period of time, that's going to give me a rate of return. This wealth calculator will give you that information. Yeah. Right? That rate of return, anytime you ever make an investment, it has to be at that rate of return or better. When I first did this, my rate of return was 16.56%. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute here. How, what in the world can I do that's going to make me 16.56%? Mine is 19%. So you did it. Or was it 29? Something with a nine. Okay. It might, I think it's 819. Okay. Does that sound right for me? 19%. It's probably. Yeah. You're, you're probably right. And Which most, is killing me when I see 19%. And I know that on my. My Roth IRA, for example, is was 5% last year. There you go. And that's not counting inflation. There's your answer. So 0%? There's your answer. So you have to, the first thing is you have to identify your target. What do I need to, where do I need to be in what period of time? What do I have? Now, what return do I need to get there? In most situations, a 3 to 5% or 8% return isn't going to do it. And the reality needs to hit you now, right? You need to figure that out now. Um, and then you're going to have to adjust your, your investment strategy. Um, what I've always kind of learned and been taught is give it to me. I'll make you a 3 to 5% return. Um, some of those that are close to me, my understanding is, you know, these big, massive corporations and companies, mm -hmm. they can take 60% of that return off the top. So every dollar, they're getting 60 cents. From what we're potentially, potentially yeah. yes, and then the you know, the other forty percent maybe gets split between the financial advisor and, and you. So theoretically, on a dollar I make, I'm taking home twenty cents. Well, that would be a twenty percent return. I'm taking home no, I'm taking <laughs> for every dollar I make, I'm actually taking home twenty cents. Potentially, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different ones out there, and there's they have different cuts and fee structures and whatever, but. Um, all I know is typically I get told what I've been told is a three to five percent return, and I needed a sixteen point five six percent return, which means traditional investments, which is that that's what they are, weren't going to work for me. I needed alternative investments, and that's what I do is I invest alternatively, which real estate is is one of those things. So let's so we're we're really short on time here, but I'm just so intrigued. We can probably go for hours. So we've talked about real estate. We've talked about that. Let's talk about this thing over here, fast track. Mm -hmm. So what is a fast track investment? Oh, that's so this cool. This seems to be something you love. I do, I do. I just love the fast track stuff and and I I'm learning it, right? So I'm not gonna, I'm not going to come across as an expert and there's the people I listen to, the people I watch, the people I learn from. I mean, they're light years ahead of me. I mean, mm -hmm. they've just got gazillions and of knowledge and, and you know and whatever else. So um I'm not going to pretend to be the expert there at all, but um the fast track stuff is so cool. So do you know what an accredited investor is? Right. So most people don't know what an accredited investor is. So um, once you become an accredited investor, so there, there are different criteria, but a couple of the quick ones are if you, if you make over 200,000 a year, two years in a row, uh, it's 300,000 joint. Or if you have over a million in assets, then you're technically by definition an accredited investor. And there are a couple other criteria, but a lot of your um, uh, alternative investments out there that are 
really high return, low risk, or potentially high return, low risk, are only available to credit investors because of SEC. Okay. That's a big thing. So, but but I, I run into a lot of people who are accredited investors, but they have no clue. They don't even know what an accredited investor yeah. is. And simply because of that, they have you have no idea what opportunities exist out there. And in the returns, I would say probably the I, I, I won't mess with something if the return's under 25%. I just won't mess with it. So the return's got to be over 25%, or I mess with it, because there's too many things out there that have returns far greater than, than 25%. I was not familiar with that world at all. Had no clue. Yeah. But a person doesn't know what they don't know. Yeah. So these, these are things for people to be looking into and researching. What is an accredited investor? How do I become an accredited investor? And then once you're an accredited investor, uh, these are other people on my team. There's other uh, in, investment groups that are on my team that have different investment opportunities, whether it be just some things like life settlement investments, you know, oil and gas, like I said, the carbon capture, um, obviously gold and silver. We're not going to get into gold and silver stuff, but... Um, those are just some different examples of different things that exist out there. You, you can get into um, syndications. Do you know what a syndication is? Yep. I've, I've, you've told me about it before. Yeah. I've... So there's a lot of syndication opportunities that come up, whether it be in, in, in investing in apartment complexes or storage units. Um, there's one right now that just came up. It was, uh, I think it was like ATM machines. Like those Because you have the big banking collapse issues going on, yeah. which we haven't touched on, and we're not going to go there right now. Yeah. But this is a big issue. These are massive, massive issues, um, or the you know, digitization of the dollar, but um, that's caused other areas, non-banking, to explode, yeah. you know, that have really high returns. But those are so, only available to accredited investors. So the, the fast-track investments are only available to accredited investors. I wouldn't say that, but there's a lot more opportunities once you're an accredited so investor. So for a guy like me, for example, who's just kind of getting involved in this process, I would probably want to stick to rental properties. Real estate is how I real estate is how I got into all the other stuff. Okay. And I now use real estate as my piggy bank, so to speak, to invest in all these other things that are on the fast track. Okay. So uh, can you and I know you've got some some ideas here. Can you give our listeners some resources that they should get a hold of to learn more about this? Uh, I would say right off the bat. Uh, uh, obviously, the 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 cash flow one on one, the board game, mm-hmm. which is which is huge, right? I mean, that's, that's just such a great educational board game. Tax free wealth is a book that I always recommend to people. Send I send to people as well. Rich yep. Dad Poor Dad was the very first book I ever um, I ever uh, uh, read that that got me into everything. Um, those are those are kind of the big ones. You know, the Provision. If you, you Google the Provision CPA because they're down in Arizona. Um, yeah, that's where you find that wealth calculator. Yeah, and yeah. see, that's just, I, in my opinion, that's just a, you, you got to identify that. But then, then it's a matter of, of building that team. So you got to build that team of actual experts um, that I go to, right? The CPAs, the attorneys. You, you, you talked about McElroy, right? I mean, I think he's yeah. an attorney, right? Yeah. So I mean, he knows law and and, and how these things work. So you you have to build um, a, a knowledgeable team that that knows things and that works with those types of people because if they work with those types of people then they're aware of those different opportunities that exist out there too well, that's I w- how i've got and i would say stuff. even before that you mentioned it earlier i mentioned it earlier start finding people 
who are heading where you who are heading or ahead of you and buy them lunch or buy them coffee oh, yeah. and ask questions. That's huge. Because they're those people that are and you know the way how I've how, how I've identified those people is they seem to have a lot of resource and assets but I can't nail down their job. <laughs> they really won't talk about it. Right. And their kids go, they're an entrepreneur with their kids can't. I'm like, okay, that's probably a guy I want to sit down and talk to because they're right. these mysterious guys out there. So I think that's the first thing yeah. is to find, you know, well, the first thing is decide I, I want to move beyond this rat race thing. The yeah. second thing would probably be finding people around you that are ahead of you and who are doing something similar and then mm-hmm. begin to build that team from that. I mean, I don't know. What do you, what else do you think? Yeah, well, and if I go back to 20 years ago when I had nothing, there are so many people out there that have so much money, right, but no time. And yes. there's so many people out there that have so much time but no money, right? And, and, and I, those are just great. Those can just be great partnerships out there. And I think when I first got into – Real estate investing to begin with, I had absolutely nothing. My brother-in-law, like I said, he was an accountant. Um, so mm-hmm. he had a good, solid, high-paying job, no time. I had all this time and desire and whatever, but I didn't have the finances. And so you know, we, we own homes together today. And, and those are just great partnerships. And I have actually quite a few different partnerships um, where, where you know, that, that's how things worked out. And so uh, I've been... You know, my one my one brother, uh, we bought into a franchise about uh, uh, it's a cleaning franchise actually about I think it's about 15 years ago. You know, he had he had we we actually got help from my dad and, and self directed an IRA. We didn't even get into that right. So you can self direct IRAs. That's a that's a big thing. So you, you if you've got IRA money out there, you can self direct that stuff and, and go invest in things. When you look at 401ks, and this is the kind of stuff that burns me a little bit. If you've got a million dollars sitting in a 401k, you can access 50,000 of that. That doesn't make sense to me. That does not make sense. You can borrow $50,000, that's it. But at least you can borrow 50,000 of your 401k. And a lot of people don't know you can do that either. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, 100%, I would would, uh, agree with what you just said in terms of finding people, meet them, take them to lunch, just ask questions and listen and learn. And then um, there are, boy, there's so much stuff right now. Uh, um, A lot of your big time authors are doing... Uh, bigger platform type of work now. And, and I think that's that's great education to get. Absolutely. So, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, this is great knowledge and information. And I'm just hoping it stirs some guys on to at least think about financial freedom and yeah. at least look at their life in 20 years and see if they're on that pathway to get there. So thanks a lot, man. Cool. Appreciate it. Hey, you got it. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Hey guys, if this podcast today helped you, make sure you share this link with one of your buddies, get them on board. The more you do that, the more men we can influence and help them become their best version in Christ. So until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor, hear the deafening roar of the crowd, taste the sweetness of victory, smell the stench of the battle, get in the game, get dirty, grind it out and be a man. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.